0: just talking to teachers talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing
1: professional development at PNA
0: 1977 on Twitter netter, just talking to teachers
1: Hello and welcome to this week's Nailers Natter and this week's guest is arts teacher Andrea Zafaraku and Andrea was always a rule breaker. At her school where over 30 languages are spoken she sensed urgent needs, mending uniforms, calling social services, shielding vulnerable teens from gangs. As she tailored each class to its pupils fiercely believing in the power of art to unlock trauma. Time and time again she'll be proved right. So in 2018 when Andrea won the million dollar global teacher prize she knew exactly where the money would go. Back into arts education for all. Because today, the UK's government's cuts and curriculum changes, in her opinion, are destroying the arts. While their refusal to tackle the most dangerous threats faced by children cyberbullying, gang violence, hunger, and deprivation, in her view, put teachers on the safeguarding front line. So, those who can teach is Andrea's story, but is not solely her own. It's a rallying wake-up call that shows what life is really like for school children today and a moving insight into all of the extraordinary people shaping the next generation. Andrea wants readers to reminisce about their own experience at school. She wants them to understand the new realities of the classroom today as well as the huge challenges and cherished successes of the unsung heroes of the coronavirus pandemic, namely teachers. She wants people to recognise the true value of the arts for children across the UK, and to call away feeling um, moved by the stories of her pupils, which echo the everyday experiences of school children, not just across the UK, but across the world. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers. Okay, hello, Andrea, and welcome to Teacher Hug Radio, and welcome to Nailers Natter.
0: Oh, hi, Bill. I love it. I love it. I love it. Big hug to you.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Right. So we're going to get straight into the book. So the book that we're talking about today, of course, is those who can teach what it takes to make the next generation. So in the beginning chapters of the book and in the introduction, you tell a really interesting story. So we can start with that one. Can you start with the road to Downing Street and how you would, at the end of it, you may have been assassinated by MI5?
0: <laughs> right. This is, I mean, it's the scariest moment of my life. So I've got three scary moments that I can, I will talk to you about. It's like the 10% braver moments. And this was the third one, right? So um, I, just, I just won a million dollars and I was in this, and I was in Dubai and I was surrounded by celebrities and fame and stardom, whatever. And then the next day I was um, put on a plane, um, taken straight to Heathrow. When I got to Heathrow, it was 6 o'clock in the morning, my school arranged for uh, my classes to be there to greet me. There was my t- teachers were there. It was just so lovely that like my, my colleagues came out with the kids and they were there kind of waving me. And I had, you know, and I think it was BBC uh, Breakfast was there with a the camera like stuck to my face. Hello, welcome back. And then I had five minutes. Then off I went. They took me to Downing Street. Uh, first of all, it was Parliament and then um, to see uh, Prime Minister at the question time. And then, then after that, I had a tour of Downing Street. And then um, I had a lovely cup of tea in the Churchill room. And then I was asked a question um, by the school's minister. And the question is, you know, he, you know, you kind of never forget these moments, Um he, he, he kind of, in his uh, jacket, in his blazer, he pulled out a piece of paper and there was a poster there. And it was like an advert campaign for recruiting teachers. And he asked me, you know Andrea, we would be delighted if you could be the face of the uh, recruitment, the teacher campaign. And, you know, I looked around the table and everyone's going, oh, great idea, you know, nodding away. And then, you know, and, and I think this, this is that moment, that 10 percent braver moment. I just said, look, thank you very much. But let me have a think about it. And then I was asked and then the silence was like incredible, absolutely incredible. Um I and mean, you can literally hear a pen drop and you can all you heard was this you know, the shoulders were rising and everyone was looking at me as if to say why. And I was asked, well, well can you explain why? And I said, Well, because this government has killed textiles and is killing the arts and education. <laughs> and then I just let it rip, Phil. I did the Greekness, you know, I just like, and this and that, and then you did this. And then, you know, and you've changed the curriculum. for textiles. And uh, oh, my God, I felt so sorry for them by the end of it. But um, I just said, no, thank you, because of this. And the reason being, and you know, I look back and I think, oh my God, was that the right thing to do? And a hundred times, whenever I look back, I always think, yes, it is, because I felt like a fraud. I just won the Global Teacher Prize for being an art teacher, working in a very deprived school in London, and the arts are the subjects, which I know make the difference to our kids, and yet it's the subjects that are can't stop fighting for in my in my school in terms of the curriculum and I just thought I'd be a hypocrite and all the other art teachers in the in the UK they'll be looking at me going oh my god how could she do this so I thought no moral compass do the right thing and um yeah I, I I've never looked back
1: and why was it that you were worried then at the end of it that you might be assassinated by well, MI5
0: well this is it and then um then the, that was in the morning and the whole day was full of interviews so I just felt really uncomfortable and i was exhausted and then i i think the last interview was at five o'clock they put me in a cab went home and um my husband was there and he was glowing with happiness and i was just he opened the door and i just cried i was like oh my god i think we're gonna be assassinated by the mi (laughs) 5 and the reason was and he goes why because i said no to the government i mean who says no to the government who says no for these offers you know um and i think that's was it because i thought you know I'm, i'm i'm letting my boss is down the ultimate boss is down by saying no um yeah i think that's that's why (laughs) that was mainly why i thought it's going to be a fascinating you know you get like mi6 coming to my door looking at my door excuse me who you are bang out
1: (laughs) well you're still here and thank goodness that you're still here (laughs) So that's the that's the great start to the book, and then obviously we get into all the different chapters and, and what I love mm. about this book, listener, is is that you know, your joy for teaching absolutely shines through this and the stories and everybody can think of particular characters in your classroom in your school that you can relate this story to. And you know, I sat down to read it, Andrea, over over east, and I just kept reading and I kept reading and I kept oh, wow. reading and I've read it through I've read it through twice now. So if oh. I can, I'm gonna pick up a couple of themes with characters within the book, if that's okay. now we don't can want to I give too much.
0: Can I just ask you a question? I think that's really important to me. Phil, in this book, could you recognize these kids? Are they your kids too?
1: A hundred percent. And this is what we were just talking about listening off air. So we were just saying, Andrew, was just saying, I hope you don't mind me saying this now. We were just saying how nice it is for teachers to talk to teachers because obviously, you know, you've got extremely high profile now with winning the award and everything else. And obviously you're attracting attention from various different media sources and things like that, talking about the book, which is nice, isn't it? To recognize what it's like to be in a classroom and you're still very much in the classroom doing these stories, you know, and I'm obviously still uh, very much in the classroom. You know, I've only just got home as we record this from being in the classroom. So, you know, I can recognize a lots of these characters. And in fact, you know, I've had an interaction with one of these very characters today when the bottom of his shoe came off at lunchtime. And, you know, I won't go into what we did and sorted it out, but I could just recognize this shining Mm -hmm. through. So without giving too much away, because obviously listeners are going to want to go away and buy the book and read the book, but we'll pick out a few examples, Andrew, if that's okay. So the first one is, could you share the story of Alvaro and how it fundamentally changed the way that you thought about teaching?
0: I mean, this, this was the boy who taught me what a teacher was. To summarize i mean um he was a, st- a child who came from a special educational needs school um, and he came to us at the beginning of year 10 and this poor kid was terrified he went from a very small school into a huge mainstream school because his parents wanted him to go and i've got my, my inverted fingers up here a normal school uh which you know uh we'll leave it at that um and and he had lots of special needs, uh, lots of them, lots of labels. And I thought, oh my god! And I and I think I was a, I was a three year teacher by then. And I thought, well, how am I going to get this kid a grade? He's going to come into a GCSE. What? How am I going to do it? And the thing that killed me was that even his parents were like, oh, you know, we know he's not going to achieve a grade. We know he's not going to get, but we just want him to go to a normal school. And it was that feeling of having low expectations that I initially latched onto so he did a piece so um he came in sat down terrified as you can imagine gave him some paper and some resources and I said we're just drawing a, a still life of our just crack on and and he did not do anything he didn't pick up a pencil he just was silenced looking down no eye contact trembling um, by the end of his lesson i i, I set a homework and i didn't ex- and you know and that, and that was it then he got up and he left with the other kids and then um the next lesson, I went to collect the homework and I went around the room. He didn't hand his homework in. And I thought, well, I know that in his school, his previous school, the homework wasn't the thing. They never set homework for the students. Anyway, so at the end of the class, I was just talking to some students right in the front of the desk. And then I just saw him go past my door and then drop a piece of paper on my on my table and I did one of those kind of double looks like that you know and I just saw um something incredible it was a drawing of a guitar a bass guitar and it was just stunning Phil it was he probably copied it from the internet but the tone was accurate it was well shaped it had you know incredible reflection of light um the accuracy was there and I thought oh my And that's exactly what I said. And I was like, stop. I thought I was going to, you know, terrify my, stop. He stopped. And I went up to him and I had the piece of paper in my hand. I was like, Alvaro, did you do this piece of work? And he was just staring at me trembling. I was like, did you do this piece of work? Please say yes. Do you understand yes or no? Shaking my head like that. And he nodded and he said yes. And I thought, that's it. That's it. He can draw. He can. He can do something. I know what to do. I know how to get him for a GCSE. Cause this kid is going to get a GCSE, and um, and that's how it was. And uh, and he did. And not only did he get a GCSE, but he got an A level. Um, and uh, he he got an A level in art. But I think for him, the beauty of it was is that he was at home in the art room he used to spend his freeze in there sitting at the back of the class he used to get up and wander around and help the other kids um it it was just a beautiful beautiful moment of discovery of confidence for this person and I know that that you know being in the art room was the place where he felt secure and just could excel to do everything
1: no, it's a brilliant story. And I mean, you, like I said, weave these stories all the way through the book with, with with sort of themes on there as well, in terms of the academic side of it and the pastoral side of it, you're obviously extremely passionate about as well. And the next chapter in the story about Muhammad is a really powerful chapter and really kind of resonated with me. And you talk about, although it's not part of our job necessarily, um, as we were just saying mm-hmm. a minute ago, to dress our students, but it is important that students feel smart. And you do a lot, you talk a lot about the importance of, of maybe school uniform and that clean uniform gives you a sense of belonging and what less thing to worry about in the extremely difficult lives of the students that, that you're dealing with. So tell us about your interactions with Muhammad uh, when you were the head of year nine.
0: Well, he was a really complex character because he've just moved um, from another country from Serbia and then digging deep and digging deep, you know, and we had lots of behavioural we, we could tell, we could tell that he was a student who would somehow fall in with our naughties. Can I say that? <laughs> with our naughty students. And I thought, mm, I've got to keep an eye out for him. And then just digging deep into his background, there was just loads of complex problems. Father, father, abandoned mom, mother and sister um, on the way to, on the way from uh, traveling from his country to the UK. And there wasn't any money on the ho- in, the, in the house. The family were being frightened of being evicted. So they said the mum would never leave the house. Um, and, you know, he, there was just lots of problems. And I think, you know, we all have high expectations. And we say, you know, wear your uniform with pride. Um, have a uniform. But Muhammad, because he was such a big lad, the uniform would not fit him. You know, it, we, we couldn't get any kind of um, uh, sizes to hit him from the local uniform store shop so he was always 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 um he felt like he didn't fit in basically at all uh and he used to get in trouble never did his homework um you can just know that he was like your cigarette supplier two years two years like nine ten eleven um and then I, and then he always used to get because i was the head of the year at that time and he always used to get told to go and see him go and see him you know you know why have you done your homework go and see her and he used to stay in my office all of the time. And I'd go, come on, why? Come on. What did you say to sir? What did, why didn't you do? What is going on? And I think at one point I lost it.
1: Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers with teacher hug radio, the soundtrack to your teaching career.
0: I absolutely lost it. I'm like, right, that's it. And I thought, Do you know what? There's a vicious cycle here. He's getting told off for not getting his uniform, for not being full in uniform. He, there's no money in the house. There's no way a, a uniform is a priority for this family. Food is a priority for this family. Having a roof over the head is a priority for this family. So um, I went to Asda and I picked up whatever I could find. Um, I got him some um, cheap shirts. Uh, a man's um, black blazer huge size trousers and because I'm a textiles teacher I'm not I could always kind of like cut them and, and just hem them up if I need to and I just go right okay at the end of the school day chuck the bag in his hand I goes this is for you try them on if they don't fit let me know but if I don't see if I see you coming in tomorrow without a school uniform I'm gonna be mad off you go and I think that was it and the next day he came in And he just looked like Tom Cruise. (laughs) He came in smart, like actually not James, let's say James Bond. Yeah, he looks awesome. He looked amazing. And his face was, you know, I've never seen him smile so bright and just look really charming. And he goes, what do you think, miss? And I was like, oh, my God, you look really smart. Okay, brilliant. Everything's okay. Right, go. Off you go. Don't be late. Carry on. And this is just between you and I. Okay, nobody else has to know about this. I think that was the most important thing. This was between you and I. Nobody needs to know about this, but this is your fresh start. And um, yeah, he. I, to be honest with you, Phil, I can't. He wasn't. Um, you know, he wasn't uh, completely transformed by the end of the day. But he he made an effort, and and he stayed with us, and he finished year eleven, and that's what we want, really, isn't it?
1: Definitely. Definitely. So in terms of your career path, and I think I'm right in saying, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong here, but you'd always wanted to be a teacher. And I think there's a section in the book where you talked about, you know, maybe teaching teddies and things like that earlier on. So (laughs) in terms of, you know, your passion for that, you'd always wanted to kind of go in this direction, but you talked about when you went for the first interview um, at Alperton and you said that your father didn't necessarily want you to attend that. So tell us a little bit more about that journey and how you ended up taking the job initially for a year. And if you don't mind, Andrea, because I loved this character in the book and I hope this is definitely, you know, well, the way you could talk about is the mentor that you had um, and Edna, Tell us a little bit about her as well.
0: Yeah, so it was really, because I, I my training places were the most extreme you can possibly get to. So the first training school I went to was in the most leafy, leafy part of um, North London in, in Stanmore. And it was just picked perfect. You know, the kids always do their homework. It was wonderful. Um, very middle-class families. It was charming. Now, the second, my second placement um, that I went to um was uh the opposite (laughs) it was much more of a kind of a council estate school in the north part of in the Watford area um and when my mentor there I mean she was she was something because I mean she probably lived at that school for about 100 years she was part of the furniture such a lovely lady and she was very very you know pastorally and and you know the kids loved her and whatever but I remember I was, you know, an, I'm an eager NQT laminating everything to the brim, uh, you know, PowerPoints galore. And then I said, right, so I'm teaching a year 11 GCSE class, uh, graphics. Right, well, I'm not, okay, I don't teach graphics, but okay, I'll take the challenge. I thought, well, has a, you know, a GCSE graphics class. Are they sure they're trusting an NQT with that? <laughs> but um, her, her words were, Look, just, just don't worry. Just, just make sure they don't leave the room. And that was my advice on how to teach these kids. Just keep them in the room, and um, yeah, that was that was an extraordinary experience. And I think when you are when you when you learn from being in those experiences, when you do have tough, challenging classes that you know literally will turn your hair your hair gray, I think that's the best learning. That's what makes you become a really resilient, really strong teacher. And so when I when it came to um applying for a job I applied for a job um as you do and I know that with the arts it's quite challenging to be an art teacher because nobody loves to leave because obviously it's the best job in the world being an art teacher. Um, so I thought, let me just grab whatever opportunity comes up. And so there was, luckily, there was a, um, an advert in Alperton, my school, um, 15 years ago now. And uh, I thought, okay, it's only half an hour in the car from home. I can drive there and back and I'll apply for it. But my dad, when I said I'm going to apply to the schools in Alperton, he freaked out. I mean, proper freaked out. And the reason why I freaked out was it, is, it was notoriously a really bad area and there were problems with the school a couple of years prior to that um it was in the news whatever whatever um I think it was at that time requiring improvement so um so anyway I had my interview I went into the uh, you know you, you go in and you teach a lesson and oh my god that room I mean I walked into that classroom and it was oh, I, can't, I mean the worst store it's like a broom cupboard but the worst broom cupboard you can possibly imagine in your school dark and dingy, that's what I had an art room which is the absolute opposite to any art room that there should ever be so windows were broken the liner was like peeling from the floor the sink was rotting away um you couldn't actually see through the windows because it was so dirty and grubby um you know work was peeling off the, the the so-called displays you can actually see the you know how um the the light kind of bleaches the sugar paper so you see two kind of different textures of sugar paper it was it was horrendous. And I think that lesson was once again, behavior management. And I was, and all I could hear was myself doing, right, I'm going to count to five, five, four, and your name's going on the board. <laughs> it was that kind of lesson. And, and who's speaking when I'm speaking? And I'm a guest in your school. You know, is this how you treat guests? It was seriously like that, Phil. it's unbelievable. Um, and it's engraved in my memory. But we got through that lesson, we did an art exercise, and I've never worked so hard in my entire life. I was knackered by the end of that 40-minute lesson. Um, but yeah, but then the, um, at the end of the class, you know, which was just like a whirlwind, um, two lovely girls were staying back behind to kind of help me pick up the papers and the rubbers and the rulers from the floor. And they're like, miss, will you be staying? Miss, can you be our art teacher? And so at that point, a moment, I just thought, you know what, even if they offered me the job, I'd say yes, but only for a year. And 15 years later, I'm still there.
1: (laughs) It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant story. It really is. And obviously, you know, you've talked about um, teachers really, really passionately about, you know, your kind of views of teachers, particularly during this pandemic. So you've talked about, you know, being the unsung heroes of, of the mm-hmm. pandemic teachers. So going above and beyond the job description is something that teachers across the country, around the world are doing, particularly during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So do you feel as if uh, ministers and government focus solely on results in the sphere of learning? And there is there enough recognition for teachers who make a difference like you, inspiring young people to do better?
0: yes absolutely is the answer I think I think the problem is is that you know I've 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 reaped so much beautiful experiences over the last few years from students who I've taught for many years you know they've come back and they said miss we're so proud of you miss congratulations oh I remember when you said this and miss remember when you called my parents that was the worst but look at me now you know and um you know, you, we have this effect on, on young people. We absolutely change their lives. Now, I have that often. I get those comments often because of the fame. But nobody else does. And I'm gutted about it. I'm really sad because teachers, what we do is remarkable. My book is not about... Um, teaching as such. It's about the pastoral, the stuff that we do, which nobody reports on. It's the tiny little gestures of kindness, of goodwill, the tiny conversations we have, um, the relationships we build. It's the way that we go um, above and beyond to just help a young person. Now, if you were to kind of put a figure to what we do, you can't buy a country, you can't buy anything with that amount. It's precious, it's priceless, yet we are never recognised for it. And that's what I'm gutted about. You know, we, I, I think there's no, I think there's no respect from the top for what we actually do or acknowledgement for what we actually do, what is our actual day to day, especially teachers who work in schools like yours and Mineville? um, where, you know, teaching, planning a lesson and teaching it are really two different things sometimes.
1: I couldn't agree more. And I had a conversation with Maria O'Neill about her book about the pastoral side of school. And we talked about, you know, even things like the setup of the school and leadership teams where you can have quite often, this is no criticism, but you can quite often have, you know, six, seven assistant heads, deputy heads, whatever it is, focused on progress and academic and curriculum and then you have one sole person which is probably you and me that's on you know the pastoral side of the school and obviously leading lots of other people who are hugely committed to the school on that side and it's like you said there about kind of refocusing on the importance of the pastoral aspect and actually bringing that out and that that does contribute and help to and work hand in hand with the curriculum side of school anyway
0: if, if you if you can if you unblock what the problems are if you can identify it and then fix it, which teachers are amazing in terms of problem solving, that's our kind of natural thing. We we are problem solvers. Then you don't everything else will fall into play. The learning will fall into place. But just trying to fix whatever the that boundary is, that should be the number one priority. And that's where pastoral teams are the most important teams in schools. Is what I believe. Yeah
1: absolutely agree and then in talking about pastoral examples i mean i've said loads of stories that i love in this book but this one i can imagine myself andrea being in this situation where you know you're having an issue with a particular student so this particular student that you've shared is called liam i think and you know you've obviously (laughs) been through visiting this lesson and supporting members of staff with him and you know he's usually to be found holding court you know in the lesson and entertaining everybody and you've you know i think this is pretty early into you being head of year i've called his dad so mr amir to come into school to walk in, and I can almost, I can absolutely picture it. You know, you're walking down the corridor. You've opened the door. Mister May's looked in. Liam's looked round, done a double take, and seen his dad there, and just dropped. You know, absolutely silently, and sat into his place. So, tell us a little bit more about that story, and can explain from your experience what a powerful difference that pastoral care can make.
0: Well, he was a child who you just wanted to have one of those, you know, those road runners, those, um, uh, those weights from that cartoon to sometimes just secretly drop. and fall on their heads um you just thought oh that kid is driving me mad he's so rude and yet there was some kind of defiance and the parents were very defiant and defiant. and no this is not my son my son is never like that it's a teacher's fault and you just think you know I've had enough how much and the poor teacher she was bless her she was again an early an early um, career stage teacher um and it wasn't in her style to be quite challenging. And uh, and she just needed a little bit of support. And I thought, right, enough is enough. And I just called the, the dad. And I was, like, all right, look, would you please, I know there's going to be a problem again in this class. Um, I'd like you to come and just observe your child from outside the door. Um, would that be okay? And the dad said, yes, said no problem. So when he came in, um, you could almost picture the scene. Um, he um, – he started, you could hear his voice in the corridor, um, again, standing up, doing all the kind of, oh, you're always picking on me. You know, oh, oh, that's so rude. You're being racist. You know, that kind of (laughs) behavior. And then he just, the dad stood in the corridor. I didn't have to say anything. The dad's the corridor. Um, Liam clocked his dad. And that was it. It was just like, oh my God. And I think what I got from that was number one, the kids were like, Miss doesn't take any prisoners. (laughs) You know, Miss means it when she says she's going to call your dad, she's going to call your dad. But I think for me, the most important thing was actually saying to parents, getting the parents involved and saying that just come, come. I welcome you. Come and see what he's like in school. And then we can take it from there because there seems to be Sometimes our wonderful students can be very cheeky and not really be honest with what they're, with what's happening at school. Um, so I think this was just a very clear, transparent thing. And, you know, why not bring parents in and get them involved and say, look, this is what your child's like. And this is this is this is it. This is the reality of what we're dealing is. Is this what it's like at home? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> why is it like that in school? You know, so, yeah.
1: Nailers natter, just talking to teachers.
0: Nailers natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers
1: about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA 1977
0: on Twitter. Nailers natter, just talking to teachers. Oh, I, I absolutely tell you what, being, being ahead of year was the best years of my life. Never a dull day.
1: <laughs> oh, no. No, and all heads of year who are listening now uh, will be thinking <laughs> yeah. exactly the same thing. But it's also one of the, well, it just is my biased yeah, opinion, it's but it's lovely. definitely the best job in the school. Oh,
0: yeah, they're your, ba- they're, they're, you know, your year groups are your babies. You know, they'll never, they'll never forget you and you'll never forget them. And even now on LinkedIn, I just, it was amazing. I had, a um, uh, a student of mine connected with me and I've taught him 15 years ago. He was when I was a when I first started as an NQT, he was in my form class, um Adam, and he was just one of those incredible gifted students. And he connected with me on LinkedIn. He's like, Hi miss. <laughs> I'm like, do you have kids like, Yeah, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and he's still calling me Miss. Well, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful that you don't forget the kids. You don't forget them. They're wonderful people.
1: Yeah. Oh no, I know. And then, then, I mean, I'm sitting here actually at the moment. So I'm sitting here, obviously, and you can't, listeners can't see this, but I'm behind me over here. And Andrew, we can't see this either. But there is a signed football shirt that I still treasure from 2005, 2006. when I was head of year 11 and the school was closing at the end of the year. So I was the last head of year in a school that had been there for a long, long time before it amalgamated, and I've got this up there. They got me a signed football shirt. I mean, albeit oh. a Wigan shirt, so that kind of devalues it. But um, it also had a, a plaque on it because we, we had like a motto for the last year. We had we were, it was from High School Musical. Do you remember this, Andrea? It was uh, "We're all in this together." Yeah. Use that yeah. as the motto yeah. exactly. So yeah. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, might, we might put that tune in. We'll see, see if our editors can cut that in at that point there. get We are all in this together there. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. We've still got that there. But in terms of saying, you know, you remember me teaching you and then you meeting people who, uh, you know, got kids or whatever. I'm getting it at school now. And even though I don't teach in the same area where I taught, you know, them some of these. So I am saying, oh, you taught my mum it's like, oh uh, blimey! No, okay. I know.
0: It's still <laughs> that old, are you? I'm gonna say, yeah. I'm getting
1: to that. I'm saying, and how and how old is your mum? Yeah, but, yeah. yeah you taught my mum, blimey.
0: Well, well, I'll tell you something which is really interesting. um I'm at the stage now, and that same year group I was talking to you about, I'm sitting on an interview panel interviewing uh, candidates who want jobs at my school and they are students who either they are in my year group or who we taught and I'm just like wow that whole like, oh, miss is because you know we just love teachers and we want to give back to our school community and and you just think oh my god the whole that whole wheel that circle of life is coming back that you're inspiring young people to to be teachers and they now want to be teachers it's just gorgeous so I'm, I'm not too far behind you Phil in terms of feeling that nostalgia <laughs>
1: Right. Well, something else that that listeners will be able to kind of uh, echo and and understand and relate to is the story of Alex Hopper. So Mm. everybody in every school, if you're a teacher listening to this, whether it's a primary school, secondary school, Mm. everybody has got an Alex Hopper, I'm sure. But you tell a really powerful story about how, you know, you kind of helped him turn things around with recognition. So how important is recognition for pupils?
0: I think it's vital, especially with students who are always on the outside, so they, may, they ne- may never feel that they achieve the same as other students. So Alex was a child who, um, he had, again, lots of special educational needs. He had dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD. He had um, absolutely every behavioral management and social emotional issue you can think of was in this child. And most of the time, you see him outside the lessons in the corridors because he'd either have a timeout or he was sent out. Um, a very aggressive young person, no friends, uh, but would enjoy talking to teachers. So art class. Uh, did a piece of, uh, had a Picasso lesson, students doing their own uh, work. And then um, I was, at the beginning of the lesson, I, I usually just start off with a mini crit and say, right, okay, whose work is this? Great. What should we say? Okay, great colour. What can they work on? Da, 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 da. And then it came to Alex's work and I held it up and I was like, right, okay, oh, God, who? please can I remind you to put your names on the work. Right, who's is, okay. First of all, what can we do for this work? And then the kids were like, oh, miss, it's really nice. I like his idea. I like the complexion. I like the colour. I like the way he applied the pain. So I was like, oh yeah, it's really great. So whose work is this? And then at the back of the class, you just saw Alex and his hand went up like this. And what I think was the most beautiful moment. And whenever I tell this story, I just get those kind of goosebumps and, you know, that, that warm feeling and, and uh, yeah, that, that great feeling you get because the kids in his class turned around and they cheered for him. It was like, the, the England winning the World Cup—it was that kind of a cheer, and I can't tell you how much that that got to me because it felt like you know those kids were always—they were so tolerant of this kid, um, and for once they actually he he was part of—he did something that they could celebrate with him. That's it—he did something that they could celebrate with him, uh, and they were proud of him. And what that what that gave um, this student was. That confidence to say, actually I'm good at something. I've never been good at something in my entire life, but I'm good at something. I can do something. And I swear to you, his behavior from that moment on was, I'd say about 80% incredible. But not just in my class, across all classes. There was he was calm, he was confident, he wasn't getting into fights, he wasn't getting sent out. Obviously the the, the odd occasion, but it was just um it was just so wonderful to see other students acknowledge him and praise him um, and finally find something that he could do well. Mm -hmm. And
1: the power of that recognition, you know, both from you, but from his peers as well was huge in terms of the difference Uh, that made to him.
0: Priceless, priceless. I mean, I think if anything, that moment, that single moment will stay in his memory forever. And rightly so, he deserved that moment. Mm.
1: And the next section, I mean, the, the way that you draw these characters, and I said to you earlier on, you know, I can imagine being in these classrooms, but these two stories that I'm going to share now. So I've got Binal and Gita and and just the story about how they had pursued subjects that were really close to their hearts and obviously close to yours. Uh, and you've, you've talked about that really, really powerfully. So tell listeners a little bit about why you feel, and, and they also felt in the end, the pursuit of creative subjects can lead to these distinguished and successful careers.
0: So um, funnily enough, When I was in year nine, I had to choose my GCSE options like many of us across the country would do. And uh, in that box, in one of the boxes where it was block A, block B, block C, block D, um, there was an art and there was geography. And I went up to my parents and I said, well, I want to do art for GCSE. And they said, no, teach geography because there's no careers in art. What what would art bring you as a career? What could you do with art? And I think that's the thing which got to me, the fact that, I wasn't able to articulate the fact that having a, a having the experience of of a, doing of undertaking a creative subject that they bring you so many skills that I could possibly be going to uh, the creative industries or I could be working for any organisation in the world because I have got the, um, the the training of a creative subject, and I think many of my students now still have that the fact that because my school there's lots of um, migrant populations the idea that the arts is not is a waste of time so what do you mean you want to do an art oh you mean you want to be a doctor Yeah, you know, that kind of mentality so um and they really have got to fight and you know we have these kids where the arts are they're gifted they're, they've just got it I mean they're better than me some of them some of them I think god you can draw better than me and I'm a teacher you know um And so you know that they will naturally find that way. And some of these girls and some of these boys I was teaching, they would secretly work um, with a torch somewhere quietly to do their art homework because if their parents found out, they would be really upset with them. Or they would stay behind the art room. Any minute they had, they would draw. They'll be sitting in the canteen with their sketchbooks open, drawing away or, or doing artwork in the canteen because they couldn't say to their parents at home that that's what they want to do. Now, funnily enough, every year, Phil, I get in contact with at least one or two ex-students of mine saying, Hi, miss, do you remember me? I used to, you used to teach me um, whatever year it was. Miss, I've now kind of left uni and I didn't complete it because I want to go into art college. Can you help me with build a portfolio? Phil, I'll get at least one or two of these every single year. And, you know, for me, I, I can almost predict that happening. I can predict students going to university for year one, possibly year two, then dropping out because they can't take it more because they know that the art college and, and, you know, working within the arts is absolutely part of their DNA and ingrained in them. And, yeah, and so um, you, you feel gutted that they didn't have that person to kind of, or the, the I don't know, the support from home, you know, I'm, you're gutted that that never happened, but you know, eventually they find they they will find their way, I suppose.
1: Yeah. And in one of those examples, if I remember rightly, um, they were studying medicine and then came back and decided that, you know, that wasn't for them and actually then did go on and continue to pursue, you know, more of a career in the arts.
0: Yeah, no, she did, and um, very successfully as well. Um, and you won't believe me. you won't believe it as well. Uh, but she's um, she's she's a, a qualified illustrator, um, and she's done some. She's um, got lots of commissions, and uh, I think last week I just completed an application for her to undertake teacher training, where she wants to be an art teacher. So there you go. So hopefully she's going to get a play, place on um, a teacher training course next year. Fingers crossed. But I mean, it's just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. What happens?
1: It really is. And, and well, she may well be listening. You never know if she's doing some <laughs> preparation ahead of, you know, becoming a teacher. She might have found us. That'd be great oh, on Teacher wow. Hug Radio, of course. So right now, obviously a part of preparation. So I've read the book, like I said, twice over and oh, more, and I've recommended it to- You're the
0: one. You're the one. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> oh,
1: listen, and, and, and there'll be, I'm sure there are thousands and thousands of people that are reading the book, and there'll be even more once they've listened to this, I'm sure. But as part of this as well, I also listened to a lot of your speeches that you've done all around the world, um, as part of you know, winning the Global Teacher Prize. So uh, one in particular that I enjoyed was one that you went over to America, didn't you? And you did uh, a talk over there in America, and that was really, really passionate, really, really good. So in terms of that story, for anyone who's not aware of it, I'm sure that most people are, could you tell us a little bit about how you did, in, in the end, win the Global Teacher Prize and the Million Dollar Prize as well?
0: Well, I have to be honest with you. I never actually heard of this award at all it was i think it was in its fourth year and um i only knew about it because a friend of mine, an old colleague who used to work in my school, left and she put me up She she nominated me and she then called me up out of the blue and said, Andrea, um, I've seen an, I've seen a competition, I'm gonna put I'm gonna nominate you. And I was like, Don't why? Don't ooh, no, I'm not that kind of person. I'm gonna nominate you. Um, just go for it. It may come to but just go for it, write an application, go for it. So I cringed because I would never do this, you know, very, I'm not just saying that, but I would never do that. And um, I think it was the night before my wedding, uh, where um, I had uh, an email come through from the organization. And it was an email, which I then found there was so many in my spam uh, emails to say, please, can you apply? Nailers, Natter,
1: just talking to teachers. Nalos Nata, just talking to teachers with Teacher Hug Radio, the soundtrack to your teaching career.
0: So the night before my wedding, I was sitting there kind of sewing up my husband's trousers because obviously the tailor got that completely wrong. Um, I had like the whole of grease in my house because, you know, the family came over. Um, cooking, cleaning, trying to have like a face pack on my face, looking, and then having to do this application. I thought, look, let me just do it because bless her. She went out of her way. She applied for me. And let me just quickly do something. And the, less, the the questions were fairly simple. You know, what would you do? Or, or how have you helped to improve um, uh, um, your teaching community? No problem. Um, what makes you a good teacher? No problem. So quickly did something, sent it through, thought, right, well, I've done it. There you go. In December the 13th, I had an email to say congratulations you are part you are one of the top 50 finalists for the global teacher prize and then Phil that's when I actually saw the website so and it was a global thing I didn't realize it was a global thing it was a global thing and then there was an out of 30,000 applications from 180 something countries you've been selected for the top 50 and that was it I was like oh my god rang up my mum um oh my god that's Um, and, um, obviously, um, the Brent magazine came to my school, little kind of photo shoot. Um, there was a small article in in the, in the Brent magazine with me. Um, and that was it. I was like, oh. I can save this for my grandchildren. You know, I'm in the local press. <laughs> uh, so that was, that was that. And then in February, you know, I had another call to say to me, congratulations, you're in the top 10. And I think that's when my life changed. So in March, the 18th, we had the ceremony. And the ceremony was not in the UK. It was in Dubai. And it was the most, oh, God, I've, I don't think I ever felt so uncomfortable in my entire life. I felt so out of place. Um you know, there was gold everywhere. Uh, there were celebrities everywhere. There were ministers of education or presidents everywhere in the, in this conference. Uh, and there were 10 teachers <laughs> from all over the world. And these 10, so nine teachers. And these nine teachers were just, you know, we were very close because we were each other's security blankets. We were the normal out of all of this strangeness. And so I looked to my left and you had teachers there who, um, you know, Eddie Wu, Eddie Wu, I, I have heard of him because he had his own uh, um, uh, maths channel on YouTube called WooTube, uh, where he used to teach uh, children how to do maths because he had a student with leukemia, couldn't come to his lessons, so he would teach, do online teaching. And then there was another person called um, Glenn Lee. Glenn Lee was an expert in robotics. His school were winning so many competitions. And my school actually did a case study on him and his school. So it's just madness how all these famous people were there. And then there was Andrea Zafiraku, an art teacher from a school, a London school in a city, Brent. No way I was going to win. No way. Who would vote for an art teacher? Come on. And yeah, I won. Bonkers, right? (laughs) Crazy. um, Yeah, an art teacher won the Global Teacher Prize. Madness.
1: And deservedly so. And not only that, but the million-dollar prize as well. Mm. So, I mean, in terms of if listeners aren't aware of this, so you have used that million-dollar prize to put that money back into what you are passionate about, which is to arts education. Um, and, and you cite, obviously, the UK government's cuts and curriculum changes, in, in your opinion, that are destroying the arts. So um, tell us a little bit more about how you went about setting up artists in residence.
0: So, yeah, I... I... I really feel uncomfortable with that money. I mean, Phil, come on, you know, we're teachers. We don't, you know, who would give a teacher a million dollars? It's, 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 it just feels wrong. So I thought, well, what can I do to make a difference? And the biggest issue that I had were, was going back to the original stories, especially with Bienal and Gita, the fact that they couldn't see what the, a career in the arts could look like. And the thing which helped me when I was younger in school, I would, my teachers would used to bring their, their mates, their graphic designer mates or their textile designers, friends who were professionals. And I would ask them, wow, so this is a job. You actually get money doing this. And it was new to me and it was inspiring. So what my charity Artists in Residence does, uh, we bring artists into schools, especially into schools in deprived area. And we get we create bespoke projects depending on the school improvement plan, whereby um, teachers and the artists are collaborating, uh, designing something, a really bespoke project for a certain group of students. Um, And those kids just love it. It's so successful. We always get 100 percent praise, feedback. Can you please come back? (laughs) You know, um, because it's just that wow factor. And and it's very inspiring for young people and also for teachers as well. And it's just, you know, I think it's one of the best things I've ever done in my entire life, just being able to kind of help young people know there's more to life. And maybe an arts, the you know, choosing arts as a subject, and maybe that being, you know, might not be the destination, but it might be the journey to their destination, is okay, is acceptable.
1: Well, it's more than okay, and it's more than acceptable. And this is going to be the most tenuous link we're going to do to the arts now. As we, and dear listener, you know, this is the favorite part of the show where we step into the vinyl suite. Here, did you see what I've done there? I've gone, I've gone into music. Good, that, that, that kind of counts, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm sounding more like smashy and nicey or, you know, if any, anyone, oh, sorry, older old, your old listeners will know what I'm talking about. Younger listeners will be like, what are you talking about? But yes, we're into the vinyl suite. So I know that uh, speaking to you off air, you've, you've obviously been thinking about this in a lot of detail. So could you share with us a, a story related to a particular piece of music and um, share it with listeners and tell us why it's maybe influenced you and your career?
0: All right. So from all these questions you've given me, this one is the one that, that destroyed my poor brain cells. And I, I really struggled. So you're going to have to help me out with this, Phil. And what we're going to do, we're going to sing this song to our listeners. And I explain to them, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, you are. You're giggling away, but yeah, you're going to do it. And then I'll explain to you why. So I'm going to start off and then I'm sure you are going to know the words that this song will then follow it, lead into. Ready? Do 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 do
1: do. Don't worry, be happy. Sorry, I did it too early, didn't I? I did it too early.
0: We'll do this again, right? That was editor.
1: Cut, cut, cut. There. Yeah.
0: So that is my song, the lovely "Don't Worry, Be Happy" by Bobby McFerrin. And why? Because. I honestly struggled with this question because I couldn't think of any song that li- that lingers uh, and I can associate with a story. But this is the one I hum quite a lot around the house, ap- apparently. And going through my book, you know, and as teachers, I'm thinking, do you know what? we do, The amount of work that we do, the amount that we take home, that kind of the baggage, the headaches, the pressures, the, the, the physical marking, at the end of the day, We've just got to kind of pause, sit back and just sing. Do, 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 do.
1: I'm not going to make the same mistake again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're,
1: not, you're not going to get me singing. It's already. I'm already debating, uh, listeners. So it depends on whether I've decided to leave that last gaff in there. I might just leave it in there for pure comedy value. No, but
0: that's listen, I, I am okay. no
1: singer. But what, what a song. And you're absolutely <laughs> right as well about that. Because I say this quite often on the show. You know, um, obviously we we like to create the illusion that we are live on a Saturday afternoon, so sorry to disappoint anyone who thinks that we are. But we often, you know, you just said then you come back from school, sometimes you've got the headaches and all those kinds of things. But I mean, how uplifted am I now? Not only am I humming along to Bobby McFerrin in my head, but I'm also (laughs) uplifted following this conversation. So what a great tune. So let's hear that song sung properly now. (laughs) There we go. Okay. So that wasn't me and Andrea, surprisingly. That was actually Bobby McFerrin there. That was much, much better. Right. Okay. So last little bit, Andrea, if we may. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, people can find a lot about you um, in terms of all the things that you've done for the Global Teacher Prize. They can find a lot of stuff about your work as well. But could you just do some formal signposting to where we can find the book, uh, where that's available, when that's available? And can you also signpost listeners to your social media feeds as well?
0: Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, um, the book um, "Those Who Can Teach" is now available from All Good Bookshop. Actually, it won't be on Thursday. So, but it's available from Amazon, uh, Waterstones, and Phil. Guess what? I am actually number three in the hottest books um, on Amazon. That's I'm just underneath the Duke of Edinburgh. Believe it or not, amazing. Um, so, um, it's incredible. I'm really happy about that. So, that's where the book is. Uh, and in terms of where to find me, I'm on and um, at Andrea. Zaf, um, on Twitter. Um, I've got my own website, andreazafiralku.com. Um, and yeah, get in touch. Get in touch, please. Uh, it's lovely to hear from you as well. Yeah, thank you.
1: And the book is getting some rave reviews as well, isn't it? So um, I read great. a review for in The Guardian. I think it was at the weekend as well. And um, that was a superb review, wasn't it?
0: Well, I made the reporter cry. I mean, but this is it, right? Teachers won't cry because this is our life. These are our kids. This is our day-to-day. But everyone outside the edgy world and it's a, such a different world the edgy world is completely different to the other world that lives outside of us you know they 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 just are getting knocked back by this book because it's they can com- it's so it's so important for them to connect with the stories and and they're hard stories you know and uh yeah the, the amount of i think we should supply it with tissues from now on <laughs> um yeah
1: well i mean that that is you know if you signposting listeners to where they can find the book then i think you should also signpost them to because it will and it will resonate with with teachers and they'll be able to like i said identify those stories and you know you will laugh you will cry you will see yourself in those positions and it shows you why it's the greatest job in the world to have because you say that in the book you know it's never the same any day of the week is it and Uh it's always worth coming back to isn't it
0: yeah, no, it's it's. I think it's um, it's an honour and it's it's such a privilege to be working in education. And I think we're very lucky, those of us who are educators, and just keep on shining, doing what you're doing. And at the end of the day, just don't worry and be happy. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah. And, and don't sing it unless you're absolutely sure of what the words are and when it comes in. I you mean, honestly, rock. can you believe that? Right. Andrea, it has been an absolute privilege to speak to you today. Thank you so much for your time. And just to remind everybody, as we said there, so the book is Those Who Can Teach What It Takes to Make the Next Generation and it's out with Bloomsbury. So Andrea, thank you so much.
0: My pleasure. It's been, oh, it's been a barrel blast. Thank you very much. for loved it. Loved it very much. Thank you. Nellers, Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development.
1: At PNA 1977
0: on Twitter. Nellers, Natter, just talking to teachers.